Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. Now, um, in, in your bulletins, you'll see uh, I put the just two chapters. I put John 5 and 6. This week, I wrestled, I don't know how many hours that I put into this thing, and I kept trying to figure out a way to go through John 5 and 6, because today is Communion Sunday, and I so wanted to talk about the bread of life for communion. And so there was just no way I could pack it all in, unless we were going to do an old-time service and go till noon today, okay? Believe me, I tried. I, I probably had three sermons, and I just had to keep bringing it down, bringing it down, so we can get you out in time to beat the, the lunch rush, okay? Some of you are like, preach, pastor, let's go, let's get old-time, right? And then the rest of you are like, I'm out of here. So, so we are, we are going to be sitting in 72 verses in one chapter. It is a long long chapter. So brace yourselves. No, we're not going to read every verse. Otherwise, we would be here till noon. So uh, John chapter 6 has 72 verses, and um, it, it really is explaining the story of life. And I, I'm just going to simplify it really quick before we dive in. So one through, verse 1 through 15, we see that Jesus feeds the 5,000. So a tremendous miracle. And ultimately, his message is, because at one point, he looks at Philip, one of his disciples, and he says, hey, Philip, you should go to the store and, and buy us enough people, or enough uh, bread and fish for 5,000 people. And Philip's like, Lord, do you know how many salaries that would take just to supply this? This is impossible. And I feel like Jesus does that to us all the time. You know, he asks us the question, hey, hey, do you, what do you think about this? And we're like, oh my goodness, we can't do it. We can't do it. And and Jesus is like, yeah, that's the point. He reminds us that he is the one that provides. And so in this, Jesus is saying, trust me. Okay, believe. Believe in me. And then we get to the next part. And this is kind of the freaky part because Jesus walks on water. So the, the, after the 5,000, they're wanting to crown Jesus king. Jesus is like, he knows what's in their hearts, and he knows this is not right the way that the Father had prepared. So he does what he does, and he goes up to a mountain, and he prays alone. And then he told the disciples, go ahead and start heading across the sea. I'll catch up with you. What does that mean? Well, he walks on water. So when he's done praying on the mountain, he goes, walks on water, meets up with them, and of course they're freaking out. They see a ghost, they see something walking on water, what would you do? You're on Lake Minnetonka, it's a little foggy out, all of a sudden, here comes Pastor Dale walking, no, <laughs> you know, you, you would freak out, right? So likewise, they're freaking out, and Jesus says one simple thing. He says, fear not. Fear not. Then we get into this discourse of the bread of life. Now, the bread of life goes from uh, verse 25 to 71. It's super long. It's the first I am in uh, the Gospel of John. If you remember when we talked about this, as I was kind of preparing you for the Gospel of John, 
is that the I am statements goes back to the message that Moses was given from God when he's at the burning bush and he said, uh, who do I tell the leaders of Israel that, that you are? What name do I say? And he said, tell them I am and they will know. And so in John, in the Gospel of John, there's seven I am. Seven is the sign of completion, meaning that Jesus is the, complete, the, the one who completes the story, the Messiah. This is the first I am. Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. And then he says in verse 35, he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. And so this is essentially what John chapter 6 is saying. He said, Believe in me and trust me, or trust in me to be your provision. Do not be afraid, and I will sustain you. Again, trust in me to be your provision. Do not be afraid, and I will sustain you. Now, could you put the, I know when you guys think of Bread of Life, you think of this album right here. If you could put this on, some of you know this. Right? You guys hear bread of life and you're thinking, oh yeah, the bread of life. Now, some of you don't know this. Some of you do. Uh, my parents, my dad is on the far left, and then my Aunt Linda and Gordy are there in the middle, and then my mom is the fourth one in, and then my aunt and uncle, Leanne and Bob. I grew up on a Greyhound bus touring with these hippies from the 70s, and they were called the bread of life. And today, when people ask them to sing, they get together, they call themselves the moldy loaf. And <laughs> they do still sing sometimes. But th so this is, I, I grew up this way. But you can get that off now. <laughs> now, this is part of my story, right? It, it is a part of my story. My, my first couple years of life was actually on a Greyhound bus. Isn't that weird? But it's only a sliver Right? It doesn't really say much about me. It's, it's only a sliver. And we are going to be talking about how we are invited into the gospel story. We are actually invited in to be a part of it. And then I'm going to share from one of my favorite storytellers of all time, and only a third of you will recognize it. So let's start in uh, verse 25. Now first, before we, we start with Scripture, I, I have learned um, a couple things as being a, a pastor, and one is I can work as hard as I can, and I can, I can uh, try and make illustrations and connections and metaphors, um, but only if the Spirit of God is with us can things be changed. So let's invite him. Heavenly Father, we know that you are here. We know that as we exalted and lifted up your name today, that your presence was here. Lord, I just am so grateful that, that we can come to this place and lift up our eyes towards heaven, that we can lift up our hands and our voices in praise and thanksgiving to who you are. And Lord, we invite you into this place. Lord, we ask that your spirit moves in a powerful way and that we uh, walk out these doors changed because of who you are. In your holy name we pray. And the church said, Amen. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So the people had been there, seeing miracles, and they saw one boat, and they knew Jesus wasn't on that boat because they were crowding around him, and then all of a sudden, he's there. How did he get there? 
Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, when we see do not work for food, we, are, we obviously think of the bread, and he's using the bread that he just spoke about, but he's actually talking about do not work for material goods. Do not work for things that are just going to pass away. Work for something that endures for life. <clears throat> Sorry, finding my place here. So do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to uh, eternal life, which the Son of Man gives you. On him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God has required? Okay, so what must you do to do works? They're not asking about what, what must we do to do miracles they're saying, what must we do to be saved? What is required of us? And his answer is the same that we already read in John chapter 3 about salvation. Jesus answered in verse 29, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. He simplifies the entire gospel to believe in the one he has sent. So believe in Jesus. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, now this is, he gets, this is actually pretty stern. He says, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. In other words, he's saying, Moses didn't do squat. Now, at that time, I mean, <laughs> Moses is the prophet. Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the law, the first five books. Moses is everything that people at that time are comparing to. I'll, just so you know, my paraphrase is Moses didn't do squat. I'll read what the Bible says just to help you. I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. God provided the miracle, not Moses. God provided it, and, and they forgot that. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, here it is, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. And all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Now, twice Jesus said in those uh, few verses that it is his will that no one is driven away and that all come to him. There are people who believe that, that there are only a select few. Here it is saying that God desires all and that none would be lost. 
Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone, again, who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. He desires that all come to eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that is why we pray. This is why we share our faith. This is why we do what we do because we believe that there are people that God is drawing to himself. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? So Jesus, knowing their hearts, says, stop grumbling among yourselves. Jesus answered, no one can come to the Father, or can come unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up in the last day. So right here, he gives the role of the Father. Nobody can come to Jesus without the Father drawing them. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Once again, your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they are dead. This is a pretty harsh statement. They're dead. And and we have to remember this. Lazarus, who he rose from the dead, is dead. The wine that he provided for the party, it's gone, and they're dead. The miracles that God has provided along the way to show and reveal himself are gone. There are so many people chasing signs and wonders, chasing signs and wonders, and they forget to look at the gift giver of those signs and wonders. We look to Jesus. He is not perishing. Our everlasting life is in him. Verse 50, but here is the bread of life that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Here he is proclaiming his death. Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And now this is the verse that really put things in in a bad place for Jesus. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink my blood, you will have no life in you. Unless you eat my body. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. At this, people began to scatter. Okay, this this is too much for me. And as we're going to see in a little bit, and this is the great thing about John, is it's the only place where we get private dialogue happening between Jesus and the intimate followers of Christ. And he looks at them and says, are you going to leave too? One of the most nostalgic and best storytellers for me is Paul Harvey. Those of you who know him, um, you can just pretend that my voice is as cool as his. 
How many of you here were Paul Harvey fans here? Okay, that's more than a third. All right, all right, that's great. The title that many of you have heard before, it's If I Were the Devil. If I, oh man, I wish I could just, if I were the prince of darkness. If I were the prince of darkness, I would want to engulf the whole world in darkness. I'd have a third of its real estate, four-fifths of its population, but I would not be happy until I seized the ripest apple on the tree, the So I would set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first, and I would begin with a campaign of whispers, with the wisdom of a serpent. I would whisper, as you, as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince the children that man created God instead of the other way around. I'd confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old, I would teach you to pray after me, our Father, which are in Washington. Then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make a lurid literature so exciting that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I would soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellect, but not neglect to discipline, or but neglect to discipline emotions. I'd tell teachers to let those students run wild, and before you knew it, we'd have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing and judges promoting pornography. Soon, I'd evict God from the courthouse and the schoolhouse and then from the House of Congress. In his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and defy science. I'd lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd take... Uh, from those who have and give to those who want it until I had killed the incentive of, of the ambitious. What'll you bet? I couldn't get the whole states to promote gambling as a way to get rich. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, and that what you see on television is the way to be. And thus, I could undress you in public and lure you into bed with a disease for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I would just keep doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. This message that was written so long ago seems prophetic, doesn't it? At the same time, it doesn't leave many of us off the hook, does it? I have such fond memories of of hearing his voice, his distinct voice coming through my grandparents' CB radio from the tiny farmhouse. Kids, you may not know this, but Back in the day when you wanted to hear a song, you had to wait for it to come on the radio. Or you'd buy a tape, which you would have to flip, and sometimes your tape player only had reverse. Some of you didn't know that, did you? And then you'd have to fast forward it and try and find it, and then back and forth, back and forth, and then they'd put these terrible gaps in between, and some were, oh, it was just awful. It was awful. Boy, you guys, you're living the life now. And then the worst of it is sometimes you had to buy an entire album for one song because the rest were just garbage. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We are all wired to love a good story. 
<clears throat> just this week, um, uh, some of you have probably seen it, the, the movie The Joker just came, um, the trailer came out for it, hit immediately, um, went viral that, that this um, movie's coming out super dark, you know, a lot of the Batman movies are very dark, and so now we've got the story of Joker, so why is it a big deal? Is it because it kind of goes with that superhero thing? No, I believe it's because people want to know why. They want to see a story of how could somebody actually be that way. How, how, how can somebody be so great? How can somebody be terrible? How, how can somebody be amazing? How did it happen? Give us, give us a story. Let, let our minds try and understand how somebody could be so dark. And if, if we're introspective, when we see these things, we see little pictures of ourselves, and if they tell a good story, they're able to bring us along on seeing how somebody could have actually gotten to where they are. Think of all of the documentaries that are being produced right now. I mean, World War II and Hitler and all the secrets and all the things that happened, people are so hungry for these stories of how could somebody do this? How could whole groups, how could a whole country of people turn like this? It tells pieces of our story, and we want to know the how. We want to know the why. We want, we want an explanation. Could, any of, could anybody have stopped it? Who else knew? Try and fill in these blanks. And then we get to the point of nature versus nurture, was somebody created this way? Were they naturally this way? And then we have to go, is there good? Is there actually evil? And if a person concedes that there is indeed evil, they are faced with the reality that there must be good if there's evil. And nature cannot produce good and evil. Good and evil has to come from somewhere else. And by admitting that there's that, then you're admitting that there is a higher power. Now, the Bible answers this question in John. In John 1, John uses the metaphor of light and darkness. The light enters. When the light comes, the darkness has to move, and it can't comprehend it. It, it doesn't understand why. Now, Ravi Zechariah, who many of you have heard before, is just an incredible Christian apologist. He goes to universities, goes to secular places, and he argues and, and he debates people all the time. And um, he says, everyone, pantheists, Atheist, skeptic, polytheist has to answer these questions. Where did I come from? What is, the, what is life's meaning? <clears throat> How do I define right from wrong? And what happens to me when I die? Those are the fulcrum or the pivotal points of our existence. Now, the Bible, from beginning to end, is a story that is about God first and then us. It is a story of a tumultuous history between us and God. It goes from incredible walking in the cool of the day with our Savior to really bad, to sin. And then it goes to worse, and then it, it goes to better, and then it goes to bad, then it goes to okay, and then it goes to really bad, and then it goes to okay, and then on and on until Jesus enters the story in the New Testament. Now, for me personally, I love a backstory. Think of the story of Lord of the Rings or any, any big mega series. I can re-watch the first movie 
The others I can watch once and I'm, I'm pretty much done with them. Why? Because it's the origin. It's, it's the explanation. It's the beginning. It's the story of the epic why. How did, did somebody get to this point of being able to get this far? How did the weakest among men, a, a, a hobbit named Frodo, become the, the one amongst valiant men and warrior, be the one who carried the heavy burden of this evil ring that destroyed so many? How? It doesn't make any sense. How did Bruce Wayne become Batman? Why? Explain to me. I don't understand. How could somebody that seemed to have everything together become this person? What paved the way for Hitler? What about Steve Jobs? What happened? America was obsessed about this after he had passed. Martin Luther King Jr. Maybe too soon for Bill Cosby. What happened? How? Explain to me. We don't, we don't understand. We need, we need answers. In, in the last couple of weeks, I've had an, just an amazing opportunity to get to know uh, many of you more. We had membership classes and, and hearing stories. Um, and, and then we had the new attenders at our home, new attenders dinner, and hearing about hobbies, hearing about interests, hearing about backgrounds, how people came to Christ. I mean, for me, I'm like, get the popcorn. Let's just go. Let's, let's hear this. It, it, there's just, there's so much, there's so much to it. It, it, it begins to, to paint a picture, but it's incomplete. And so someone's life is, is like, a, like an incomplete painting that, that it's difficult to recognize until their signature is on it. The exciting part of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we are invited into it, and he actually calls us ambassadors. So 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now, this is our job description. This is our job description, 2 Corinthians 5.20, that we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us, making Jesus' appeal through us. And so now we are imploring people on behalf of Christ, our Savior and Lord and our Messiah, be reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our job description. The gospel is this. God has invited us into the greatest story ever told. That mankind was created by God. Man and woman sinned against God only to create a chasm that separated the once perfect union of God and his creation. God made covenants with us, gave us a law to abide by and a way through an animal sacrifice to cover our sins. We were unable to keep our end of this agreement. So at the right time, God sent Jesus, his one and only son, Jesus, who is part of the perfect union of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus came as completion to the covenant that we could not make good on. So Jesus was the perfect sacrificial lamb for our sins. He was a sacrifice to take the place of all sacrifices. God provided a way for us to enter into eternal life 
through the body, through the blood, and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel message that we are ambassadors for. This is it. This is the message. Like the Apostle Paul penned, he said, this is the message I have chained myself to. He was in chains in prison, and he said, this is what I am an ambassador for, in chains. And we, like Paul, need to chain ourselves to this message. May it go everywhere we go. So we are invited into this gospel story as active participants. We are sometimes in a a supporting role. Sometimes we're an extra. Sometimes we have to take a lead role. But no matter what, we always decrease and Jesus increases. Again, in the book of John, we see in the very beginning as the introduction to John the Baptist. And he had one job, prepare the way of the Lord. And he was headlining. He was the lead. People were gathering. He had disciples. He was baptizing. The leaders were coming to him saying, are you the Messiah? Until Jesus came. His job, like he said, I must decrease, he must increase. No matter what role that we have, no matter what role at what time that we're playing, Jesus always takes the driver's seat. We always give glory to him because I can do nothing. I can do nothing without Christ. Now, our society has twisted this message of us decreasing and Christ increasing to the opposite. The twisted message is believing that we must increase and everyone else should decrease no matter what it takes, which essentially means that we step on, we lie to, we deceive whomever to get our increase. It feeds the statement that God helps those who helps themselves. I, um, I had a, a guy that I had met with who had come to visit the church I was at, and, and um, so I took him out for coffee, and um, he was raised in the church, pretty bitter, pretty angry, and in the first part of his life, things hadn't been going so well. So this is actually what he said to me specifically. He said, I've just decided, remember, I've decided that God helps those who help themselves, and that was his motto. And he just said, I'm just going to step on whoever it takes to get what I want because things are just not easy. My heart broke for him. But he had bought into the lies that this world is telling him. And then this is one that drives me crazy. And I know that we say it loosely sometimes, so bear with me so you can understand where I'm coming from. When somebody says um, to people, do it if it makes you happy. Just do it if it makes you happy. And I go through the roof with this one. Because then we point fingers at them when they actually do it. Think of the Me Too movement. Think of the Time's Up movement. These men were doing things that they wanted to do. Fulfill their own desires, their own needs. 
They were doing exactly what you told them to do. Do whatever makes you happy. At whose expense is our happiness worth? Your families, your children, your spouse, your friends, coworkers, the livelihoods of your employees? How much, how many people is your happiness worth? This is a cheap, thoughtless, and reckless statement for us to say. In Scripture, we find that human flourishing, that fulfillment only comes through connection with our Creator. That is the only place true fulfillment can come. Our human flesh and desires can never and will never be quenched. Have you ever met an alcoholic who said, Yep, that drink hit the spot. I'm done. A glutton who had their fill. Oh, that was it. A drug addict who had their last satisfying high. Oh man, that was the one I was looking for. <laughs> I'm good. The last time looking at this pornographic material because now I'm satisfied. The abuser who finally exercised all their rage. Okay, now I'm no longer angry. Do you really believe that your satisfaction can be satiated or fulfilled? Who are we kidding ourselves? I cannot speak for you, so I'm going to quote the people like you and like me that follow Jesus. And when Jesus would preach a difficult message, like in, in John 6, they would always say this, Master, what must we do? And this is what we're faced with, friends. This is what we're faced with. The question of what must we do? Maybe you're thinking, Pastor, I am a much better person than you're making me sound right now. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, we're not. Who are we kidding ourselves? We are all in desperate need of a Savior. The Bible tells us that our good works are nothing more than hay and stubble. But when it's done by faith, they become works of righteousness and are actually holy unto God. If we're not striving because I'm going to be a good person or I'm, I'm doing this because now God's got God's to be happy because I'm doing this thing. But when it turns into I have faith in Christ and because I have faith in him, the works that I do are unto him and he sees it as righteousness and he sees it as holy. And like the, Psalms, the psalmist says, it is like a beautiful incense going before God. And that is our worship. You, can, you could vacuum in the church and you could be in the most glorious place before God. You could be helping a neighbor that needed help with groceries or shoveling a sidewalk and you are doing it in faith and you're saying, Lord, I am doing this because I don't want to do this right now. There's nothing in me that wants to do this, but I am doing this unto you right now. And the Lord looks at this and he is saying, you are doing this as a holy, holy person before me. And I accept it as a gift. As faith, 
on to Christ. Now, John 6 begins with two miracles, feeding the 5,000. He says, trust me, and I will provide for you. And the second one, Jesus walks on water. He says, do not be afraid. So, really quick here. I just, this, this separates the sermon a little bit. So this isn't really a good flow, but I just feel like it's a really good teaching opportunity for us in the book of John, chapter 6. Um, it, it, it gives us such a great description of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father draws and enables us to come. This is verses 44 and, 40, and 65. It says the Father draws and enables us to come to Jesus. The Son, it says Jesus, brings salvation and resurrection and eternal life. This is verse 44. And then it says the Spirit gives life. Verse 65. So, one true God, living in eternal existence, the three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they have the same divine nature in a distinct in relationship, role, and function, yet they work in perfect unity to draw us to Christ, to bring salvation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and his spirit is here to give us life. So my question for you today is, are you tired? And the answer is, Jesus will sustain you. Are you weak? Jesus will lift you up. Are you worried? He is more than enough. To complete this chapter, the answer that um, we as a church should be thinking or feeling in unison is exactly what St. Peter said at, at the end here of John chapter 6. After Jesus said to his disciples, like I already said to you, is this teaching too hard for you as well? And then Jesus says, will you go like the rest of them? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, where do we go? You are the bread of life. And this is the question that we have to face today is when things get hard that we look and listen to what Peter said and Lord, Lord I know it's hard right now but where am I going to go? I know that you have the bread of life and this is what we're going to be doing today. Today we are partaking in communion together and what better message for us to enter in a time of communion than to be thinking of the bread of life and partaking in the body and the blood of Christ our Lord. Pastor Callie, if when you have a second, if you could come and, and play for us quietly today. No longer are we to strive for the things of this world, but of the one thing that will never perish, which is Christ. Like we sang today, Christ alone. So what we're going to do today, if you'd please stand.
You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.